0: Well, good morning, church. It is good to see you all. Am I on? Everybody hear me okay? If not, I can yell. There I am. All right. Well, if you didn't catch it the first two times, I'm Jamie. I am one of the pastors here, and it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, don't worry about it. There's a, there are Bibles in front of you, in the, in the pew in front of you. And you will find our reading today on page 855 of the church Bible. Um, there are red ones and black ones. Uh, I'll be reading from the English standard version, which is one of the black ones. So if you want to follow along with me there, any, any English translation will work. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go ahead and read Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, and ask for the Lord's help on our time together. The preeminence, the preciousness of Jesus Christ, His person and His work is the one thing about which we must be absolutely certain. He is the most important thing. And brothers and sisters, I have tremendous news this morning. That is exactly what we get in the Gospel of Luke. As we open the Gospel of Luke, that is what we're going to find, absolute certainty concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ. God has been pleased to give us, through His Spirit-inspired and inerrant word, certainty about the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And in the pages that follow, Luke, the doctor, the historian, will put Jesus forward for all of us to see. And as we read and study and meditate on these words, God, the Holy Spirit, will shine the light of His glorious grace upon the infinitely satisfying and gloriously beautiful Son of God. Jesus Christ is the jewel of heaven, and every verse of Scripture, a turning of that jewel under God's glorious light, casting His hue for all to see. And I pray that God would give us eyes to see. In the gospel, according to Luke, Jesus is big. Luke's gospel is the longest book in the New Testament. It is 1,151 verses long, and of those 1,151 verses, 568 of them are the words of Jesus. Luke is a well-educated man, a physician, an historian, and Luke is absolutely enamored with Jesus Christ. Luke presents us with what some have called big God theology. Jesus is the sum and center of all things, bigger and better than any could possibly imagine. Everything exists by Jesus and for Jesus. The entire universe is planets and Jesus is the sun. It is simply impossible to overstate Jesus or to overestimate Jesus or to speak too highly of Jesus or to make too much of Jesus. Luke makes everything about Jesus. And this is fitting and right because God makes everything about Jesus. A few weeks ago, I was teaching a class uh, for our membership. And I made the point that everything that God does, God does for himself and for his own glory. And my friend Keith said, and why shouldn't he? Amen, Keith, amen. And why shouldn't he? Is there anyone more worthy? And yet, sadly, for all the stunning beauty and glory That Christians see in Jesus, not everyone sees it. For all the joy and peace and contentment that comes from knowing Jesus, not everyone feels it. And so into the darkness and the doubt and the hopelessness that is mankind's heart, God the Father shines the light of His glory on the face of His Son through His Spirit-inspired Word. And we pray that all who attend here in the months to come would see this beauty. We'll be working through, Lord willing, the Gospel of Luke for a good while. And I am excited. This is going to be great fun. The main point I would like to draw from Luke chapter 1, 1 to 4 is this, that through His Word, God gives His people certainty about what matters most, His Son, to produce in them God-glorifying boldness for life and ministry. That through His Word, God gives His people certainty about His Son to give them boldness for life and ministry. We'll work through these four verses in three parts. We'll look first at the source of Luke's gospel in verses 1 and 2. We'll consider the sharing of Luke's gospel in verse 3. And then finally, the certainty of Luke's gospel in verse 4. Let's take a closer look again at verses 1 and 2, the source of of Luke's Gospel, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us. So here on the outset of the Gospel of Luke, we learn several things. First, the author of the Gospel of Luke is not an eyewitness to Jesus Christ. He was not one of those who were from the beginning. He must have come to faith after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And we don't know much about the man who wrote this gospel. What we do know is that he wrote two books of the New Testament, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And we know this because the book of Acts is addressed to the very same person that is addressed in the book of Acts, in the book of Luke, Theophilus. And there in the beginning of Acts, we Luke mentions his first work. In the book of Acts, the author shifts from third person to first person. When describing sometimes the traveling of the Apostle Paul, he'll say, We traveled from this place to this place, or, or we went, we shipped here, we sailed there. And so we know that the author of these two books was a travel companion of the Apostle Paul. And then from Paul's letters, we can deduce that this travel companion is a man named Luke. Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, tells us that Luke was a physician. And Many believe, church history tells us, that Luke was also a Gentile. Some say that he was a native of the town of Antioch. Luke was a well-educated man that much is clear in his writings the new testament is written in greek greek is a notoriously complex and difficult language and luke's greek is impeccable in fact many greek scholars consider luke chapter 1 verse 1 to 4 which we've just read to be the finest example of ancient Greek ever written. Luke's attention to detail and his concern for precision and for order, speaks to his scientific mind. And so Luke is an author. Luke is a doctor. And here we'll see that Luke is somewhat of an investigative journalist. And like any good historian... And he goes to journalists, he gives his source material. Two sources are mentioned here, other narratives and eyewitness testimony. What we read about has come about because Dr. Luke spent what was likely years of his life gathering all kinds of data about the man, Jesus Christ, and then traced down eyewitnesses to corroborate that data, he'd likely have met with the paralytics and the lepers that Jesus healed. He'd probably have talked to the mother of the son that Jesus raised from the dead. Perhaps even met with the demoniac that Jesus delivered. He could have even sat down with Jairus and Jairus' servants about, about his daughter that Jesus healed. I imagine as a doctor, he would have examined the bodies of these folks. Luke corroborated corroborated the miracle accounts with those who had received the miracles. He went to the places. He met with the people. Looks like Indiana Jones. And in the coming weeks, Lord willing, we're going to work through the birth narrative of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to read of Mary's account, of the visitation of the angel, of the shepherds, all of those Christmas themes that are so precious to Christians, and so many of those things exclusive to the Gospel of Luke. And you know what that means? That means at some point, Dr. Luke sat down with Mary and talked about her son Jesus. Luke's gospel was written sometime in the early 60s AD. Jesus ascended into heaven somewhere around the 30s, early 30s AD. Which means that when Luke had a chance to sit down with Mary, she was likely an older woman, a grandmother, perhaps even a great-grandmother. She was probably living in Ephesus, which is what church history tells us, very likely living in the home of the Apostle John, because you remember on the cross, Jesus told John, take care of my mama. So I just imagine Mary sitting on her rocking chair. I don't know if they had rocking chairs back then. Maybe she's got a grandbaby on her lap, wrinkled skin. Bright eyes, her her youth long since transformed into something far more beautiful. And she's telling Dr. Luke her testimony, stories about her son, over a cup of tea. Some of you are grandmothers, some of you great-grandmothers. Don't you ever let yourself think that you have out-aged gospel ministry. Your testimony of God's grace, spread across decades, is invaluable. The church needs your words and wisdom and testimony. There is a kind of Christ-exalting steadiness. A gentle and immovable faith that can only be formed and hardened by decades of Bible reading and prayer and suffering. This world, obsessed with youth and frivolities, desperately needs battle-hardened Christians whose eyes are gentle, but whose faces have been weathered by decades of facing in to the cultural winds against them. One of Luke's sources are eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word, those who delivered the truth about Jesus Christ to others. The word minister means servant. And friends, each one of us are servants of the word. We all have a ministry, a word ministry to others. That word delivered in verse 2 is the same word the Apostle Paul uses in that famous passage in 1 Corinthians 15 This matter of first importance, Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scriptures. You see, someone delivered that matter of first importance to the the Apostle Paul, who then delivered it to the Corinthians with the expectation that they would deliver it to someone else. Paul told the young pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Notice four generations of Christians are mentioned in that one verse. Paul writing to Timothy who is to instruct others who instruct others. So can I encourage you in something this week? Take a lunch appointment. Take a coffee appointment. Invite someone into your home and share something that you've recently learned about the character and nature of God. Something that you've learned in personal reflection in God's Word. Share that with someone else. Sometimes I think... The way we look at ministry is that ministry happens here, right now. It happens at Sunday school. It happens at Wednesday night Bible studies, and that's true. That is ministry, but that's not all that is ministry. Friends, ministry happens every time you and I sit down with someone else, we crack open a Bible, and we share Jesus together. This is what you do when you're excited about something, isn't it? You share that thing. It's simply the way God has made us. That the, our enjoyment of something only increases the more we share it. So you find a show on Netflix, and you tell someone about it. You find a recipe, and you invite people over to eat it together. You find a new band that you like. You tell someone about it. Our enjoyment of something increases the more that we share it. And should we expect to be any different when we're sharing the Lord with someone else? No. Our delight in God only increases the more we share Him with someone else. So the sources of Luke's gospel are various narratives and the corroborating eyewitness of those who knew Jesus. Luke gave a portion of his life to put together an orderly account and then to share that account with someone else, which is what we see in verse 3. Verse 3. And so, Paul, so, so Luke says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, So Luke tells us that he's followed these things closely for himself for a while. Luke had done research for his own sake, but not only for his own sake. He writes this gospel to a man called Theophilus. Now understand, the preaching moment when the church is gathered on the Lord's Day is the most important part of your week. It is when God's God speaks to His people through His Word. And God speaks through His Word to address things in our lives, latent sin that we need to deal with, drawing us to His Son for mercy, for grace, for encouragement, for strength. But understand that the preaching moment is meant to land on you, but it's never meant to stay on you. It's meant to flow through you to someone else. And so don't miss this point. The longest Spirit-inspired book in the canon of Scripture is a letter written from one man to another man. And I hope that you're seeing just how important one-to-one Christian ministry truly is. Luke is telling Theophilus, Jesus changed my life, and He can change yours too. Christian, you carry the torch of Luke every time you sit down with a friend or a loved one and share your testimony about what Jesus is doing and has done in your life. And the Lord will use it. In a similar way that the Lord has used the gospel of Luke in your life, the Lord can use the gospel of Luke through your life. Don't grow weary in sharing Christ. Well, no one knows who Theophilus was. Luke grants him the title, Most Excellent, which is usually a title reserved for someone in high social standing, perhaps a Roman official. In the book of Acts, Felix and Festus are politicians who carry this title. And so it could be that Theophilus Is a wealthy dignitary, a Roman official, Roman politician, seeking the truth about Jesus Christ. It could be that Theophilus even funded the investigative ministry of the writer Luke. We don't know. We don't know who Theophilus is. If he's a politician, that's a pretty great thing, because contrary to everything I've been told, People in government can get saved. Whoever he was, he was taught things about Jesus Christ, and Luke wrote him this gospel to give him certainty. Notice Luke says that he had followed these things closely, carefully, and he sets out to write an orderly account. The structure of Luke's gospel is orderly. The word means logical in sequence, and that doesn't necessarily mean that everything in the gospel of Luke is chronological, although most of it is. What it means is that the sequence of events that we find in the gospel of Luke are ordered in such a way as to accomplish Luke's goal, which is to give certainty about Jesus Christ, His person, and His work. Sometimes Christians get a reputation as being blind followers who believe in a make-believe sky God. We get the reputation that in order to be a Christian, you need to check your mind at the door and just have blind faith. But The Gospel of Luke demolishes any notion that Christianity is a blind faith. This is a gospel that is carefully arranged, meticulously verified. So anyone who feels that the Bible is a fairy tale needs to wrestle with Dr. Luke. And if you'll humor me for just a second, turn a couple of pages in the gospel of Luke to Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3. Just the first couple of verses, we read, "...in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Acturia, Draconatus, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness." Well, this is a fairy tale, that is not how you start fairy tales. Fairy tales start off with once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away. They don't start off with such easily identifiable and verifiable data as this, right? So Luke is a book that is meant to be studied, worked on. And our understanding of Scripture won't come mindlessly and lazily with a Bible opened in our laps. It will come when we dig into the Word and we discover themes in the Word. It will come when we work to understand the whole Bible as one story. I mean, after all, what did Paul tell Timothy? Think over what I say. Christianity is not a mindless religion. No, just to the contrary, it's a very mindful religion. I appreciate what author Jen Wilkin says when she writes, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. I think she's just right about that. And this is why the Apostle Peter, when he prayed for his audience... He said, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus. Grace and peace comes through knowledge. Going deep into God's Word on Sunday and in Sunday school is vital to your health as a Christian. And so if the Lord is pleased to allow us to work through the Gospel of Luke together, I would encourage you to do what Luke did. And to follow these things closely. To read Luke over and over and over. To marinate your mind in this book. Marinate your heart in this book. Take one of those journals and make notes about this book. Underline words and phrases. Meditate on truths. Make connections to the Old Testament. Study. Because when you do, you will see the gospel. The Bible will come alive. You will see Christ Himself standing forth from these pages in this book. And by God's grace, your delight in Him will equip you to endure suffering well, to share Jesus well, and to borrow a phrase from my hero, Jonathan Edwards, to fit you for heaven. And by the way, this investigation into the gospel of Luke isn't just for Christians. I have to imagine in a room this size, there are some here who are not Christians. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm just so glad that you're here. You picked the perfect day to come to church. Honestly, we're starting a book that's about giving you certainty. And so can I encourage you to do something? Just keep coming back. Read this book with us. Put all of your mental resources to work in this book test it and try it. And when we're done, you come to me and you tell me whether or not you have found this book to be incredibly reliable and completely honest about everything it says. And if God is pleased, it may be that the Lord would open your eyes to the stunning glory of Jesus Christ that we'll read about in these pages. And you'll see, as so many of us here have seen, That Jesus' life and death in resurrection changes everything. That the penalty of your sin against God can be forgiven through Christ. Perhaps you'll find, as many here have found, that when you turn to Jesus, turning away from your sin, confessing Him as Lord, you'll find more mercy in Him than sin in you. And you'll be saved eternally. If you would like to know more about becoming a Christian, flag down anyone who looks like a regular around here, and we'll get together and we'll get you some resources. And keep coming back as we study through the gospel of Luke. Church, here's the point of all of this. You can bank your life on the fact that everything in the Bible is true. You can have certainty. This is what Luke gives you. This is the point of verse 4, and this is where we'll end our time together. Luke chapter 1, verse 4. All of this, all this work that Luke has done, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Theophilus needed certainty of the things he'd been taught. And that phrase things you have been taught in, in the original language, in Greek, is one word, and it's the word from which we get the English word catechesis or catechism. Catechism isn't something that Catholics do. Catechism is something that Christians do. Catechism is just the teaching of doctrine from one person to another. So you've all been, if you're a Christian, you've been catechized. You are catechizing, whether you (laughs) want to or not, you are catechizing. And so, with that being said, I would like to say a word or two to middle schoolers, to high schoolers who are in the room. Many of you have grown up in church, hearing your parents, hearing your pastors preach about the man Jesus Christ as if he were a real person. As if this whole book is true. And for a long time, you've just accepted it. And that's good. I'm glad you've done that. You've honored your parents well in doing that. But you know, there's coming a day, and maybe that day is already here upon you, when you're going to have to make the decision yourself Is this book true? Is Jesus Christ truly who he said he was? And if so, what does that mean? You're like Luke. You're like Theophilus. You're not an eyewitness to Jesus. You've been taught about him, and you need certainty. And so here's what I tell you to do bring all of your questions, all of your doubts to this book. Talk to God about your doubts, about your questions. Ask him to give you the certainty that Luke had. Because here's the thing. The Bible gives you a promise that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. When Theophilus was looking for certainty, what did Luke give him? He gave him the word of Christ. Because Luke knew doubters who encounter the risen Lord Jesus in his word will have their doubt swallowed up in certainty. It's a bit like the disciple Thomas. Do you remember? After Jesus was risen from the dead, the disciple Thomas... He said, unless I see the scars on his hands and on his side, I will never believe. What did Jesus do for Thomas? Did he scold him? Rebuke him for his unbelief? No. He invited him in. He drew him to himself. And he said, Thomas, put your hand here. Put your hand here that's what i want you to do put your hand here in the gospel of luke put your hand on the lord jesus in this gospel cornerstone in pickwick baptist church you can have certainty about the things that you have been taught you can bank your life on the words as you read in this book, you can rest your head easy tonight, knowing with certainty the grave is empty. Sin is forgiven. Christ is on the throne. You can hand him whatever it is that you're dealing with this week. You can forgive that person who offended you since you have certainty that God has forgiven you. You can say no to that addiction because you have certainty that you've been united to Christ and everything you want is found in Him. You can stand for the truth of God and suffer persecution or reproach for His sake because you have certainty that the reproach of Christ is greater wealth than all the treasures of this world. You can trust the Lord through sickness and infertility knowing with certainty that He who has promised is faithful. You can give your time and your talent and your treasures to advance the gospel because you know with certainty that God will provide for you. Through the testimony and the teaching of the apostles, through the Word, God gives His people certainty about His Son to produce in them God-glorifying boldness for life, and for ministry. To this end, we pray. Father in heaven, you are great and you are a glorious God. You have revealed yourself to us through many convincing proofs, granting to us certainty concerning the things that we've been taught. And we say thank you. We confess, Lord, that we have neglected the careful study of your word, that our delight in Christ has languished and we've become in many ways self-focused, insular, weak. And to our shame, Lord, we've spent much of our resources obsessing over things that just don't matter and too little of our time delighting in the things that do matter. And Lord, we know This is why it's so easy for us to get thrown off course. Someone looks at us funny. We misunderstand intentions. We get frustrated when things don't go our way and it wrecks our week. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for how little we treasure Christ. And Lord, restore us. Open our eyes to the bigness of your Son. And let us see him through the words of this book. Would you send your Holy Spirit, our helper, to enable us to see and believe all that we've been taught? And Lord, because Jesus is so worth it, grant to us boldness to share him with others. Out of our delight in him, would you give to us a ministry of sharing Christ and give us the means to carry that out? We pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' praise. Amen. Well, if you have truly trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the Bible gives us an assurance that you've been forgiven for those sins. First John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen.